This is episode 253 of the AWS podcast, released on July 8th, 2018. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Simon Lisher here with you. Great to have you listening, and thanks for making the time. I know it's time out of your day, so hopefully it's time well spent. Well, it's a update show, and as ever, this is a kind of a potted update. Uh, there is just so many things that have happened since the last update show that uh, if I recorded them all, uh, you'd never get done. So I thought I'd pull out some of the the key things that might really spark some thoughts or get you moving on a particular project, etc. Also, if you're looking for some more face-to-face contact with uh, with Amazonians and to learn more, don't forget that uh, reInvent is open uh, for registration and uh, this would be a good time to do it. Uh, it's held in Las Vegas towards the end of the year and definitely uh, a thing to get involved in. Also, if you're an Australian customer and you work specifically in the public sector, then our Canberra Summit is coming up in September as well in Canberra. So uh, make sure you sign up for that. So what's been happening? Well, let's start with a really interesting one, which is a service called Amazon QuickSight, which is a business analytics and intelligence service that lets you visualize your data really effectively. Well, now you can get Amazon QuickSight with pay per session pricing. And this is actually a first amongst business analytics services. Basically, you can let everyone access your uh, data with an interactive data-driven dashboard, but only pay for when the user actually accesses the dashboard. Kind of makes sense, huh? Uh, So pay per session pricing starts at 30 cents per session. However, the good thing is it's up to a maximum of $5 per user per month, and then it's capped. So essentially, if you have those users that just kind of casually want some access to information or get it from time to time, this is a great new pricing model to suit those use cases. The Amazon QuickSight team have been hard at work for customer requirements and have introduced a whole lot of new features, including uh, increased Spice data set limits up to 25 gig, hourly refresh of Spice data, a whole lot of permissioning changes that have taken place. But also you can now uh, have private VPC connectivity for Amazon QuickSight. So you can securely connect QuickSight to data sources within your virtual private clouds as well as on-premises without deploying any agent or gateway and without data traversing the public internet. So lots and lots of cool changes going on there. I always like to share with you a new uh, nuance to an instance type that might be useful to you to improve the performance of your applications or how you build them. So the EC2 M5D instances are new ones to keep an eye out. These are backed by NVMe-based SSD block-level instant storage that is physically connected to the host server. So this is uh, really useful for those workloads that need a balance of compute and memory. And they also need high speed, low latency, local block storage. So this is useful for things like logging, media processing, etc. And remember, this is temporary data. So this is scratch-based, temporary files, caches, etc. that you then offload to something more permanent. But this gives you a really interesting new performance profile available to you now. Now, those new instance types are available in uh, US East North Virginia, US East Ohio, US West Oregon, Canada Central and Europe Island, uh, and look out for them in more regions to come as well. Now, I know a lot of uh, our listeners have started to use a service called Amazon Poly, uh, which allows you to convert 
text-to-speech. In fact, when you listen to this podcast, you hear Polly introducing when this particular episode was released at the start of the the podcast itself. So, I'm rapidly being replaced. Uh, But there is actually a new voice, a new French female voice called uh, Leia. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, And this is uh, a warm and natural sounding voice with a Parisian accent. Now, I have no background in French at all, but I do know we have a lot of French listeners. So, I'll let you judge if you think that Leia has a Parisian accent. Uh, You can tell me. (laughs) Let's talk data. In fact, let's talk graph databases. Uh, Amazon Neptune was announced uh, at reInvent and it is now generally available. So this is a fast and reliable graph database that allows you to really interact with highly connected data sets. So it's used for a variety of different use cases that kind of don't fit into the relational model or the NoSQL model as well. So this is now generally available, currently uh, available in US East, North Virginia, US East, Ohio, US West Oregon and EU Island regions. And uh, it's a great place for those types of interconnected database requirements. Another data service that's had an update is Amazon Athena. Now, this is a uh, interactive query service that really allows you to analyze data on S3 using standard SQL. It's a service I particularly like because there's so little setup to be done and uh, no management to do. And now you can create views and run queries against those views. So uh, if you're a database user of old as am I, then views are your friend. You can now use views with Athena, which is great. A big part of managing your database is moving data around. And there are many different file formats for different kinds of data, which are suitable for all different kinds of use cases. As with many things in the architecture world, it's a toolbox that you have, not one size fits all. So something new in the toolbox is the ability to copy data from Parquet or Orc file formats straight into Amazon Redshift. So you can load those right into your cluster from S3 using the copy command and the copy command makes life very, very easy to uh, move things in. Uh, This is currently available in US East, North Virginia, Ohio, US West, Oregon, North California, Canada Central, South America, Sao Paulo, EU, Frankfurt Island, London, Asia Pacific, Mumbai, Seoul, Singapore, Sydney, and Tokyo. So if you need to move data around, this would make it a lot easier for you. Now, of course, speaking of data, one of the uh, most popular services for customers to use when they're moving to the cloud is really a cloud native way of storing, accessing, and sizing their databases. And this is using Amazon DynamoDB. And something that's changed is now Amazon DynamoDB now supports uh, 99.99% service level agreements for global tables. So this is when you deploy a global table, you get uh, five nines of availability. Also, uh, in terms of just your regular table types, that's four nines of availability, so 99.99%. Lots of details in the service level agreement to have a read of, but if uh, those SLAs are something that are important to you, then uh, you now have them supported for that database type. Also, we've expanded the regions that support uh, backup and restore. This is a great capability within Amazon DynamoDB where you can return back from any point in time from kind of now to a maximum of 35 preceding days. I use it in some of my applications and it's very simple to turn on and very effective. It is now available in 15 AWS regions. So check your particular region that you use for availability. Something else that's recently happened is that the Amazon DynamoDB Accelerator or DAX SDK for Go is now available. So if you're a Go aficionado and you also want to use DAX, you now have the magic combination of both of those, which allows you to have very, very high performance access 
to data stored in DynamoDB. In fact, it can be 10 times faster depending on the workload, which really takes reads from milliseconds, which are really fast, to microseconds, which are really, really, really fast. So what about the more traditional uh, database approach? Uh, the good old workhorse of the data world, which is uh, RDBMSs. Well, there is a new feature that's been made available for Amazon RDS for Oracle, and this is called Optimize CPUs. And this allows you to enhance the value of your Oracle database licenses because you can specify a number of cores when launching new instances, and you can also disable Intel hyper-threading technology. So this helps you optimize how much you spend on your licensing based upon your performance profile. Now, there are lots of nuances on how this works and the different instance types. So I'll link in the show notes so you can have a look at uh, how it works. But really, if you've got an environment where maybe you've chosen a particular instance type to get access to a lot of memory, but you don't quite need as much CPU, this allows you to get access to that instance type without being penalized from a licensing perspective because you have so many cores as well. You can actually optimize the CPUs to be exactly right for your workload and for the licensing model that you're working with. Now, performance is always something that uh, DBAs look at, as you should, because uh, your data layer can often be the bottleneck. So we're very pleased to announce the general availability of something called Performance Insights, which is Amazon RDS Performance Insights. This is an advanced database performance monitoring feature that lets you diagnose and solve performance challenges for Amazon RDS databases. It's a has a free tier with seven days of data retention and there's a paid long-term data retention option as well. This allows you to understand the performance profile of a database, what's going on. It also allows non-experts to detect performance problems so you can just visualize what's going on and fix it. Now, it currently supports Amazon Aurora with Postgres compatibility and there are more database engines available in preview so you can expect lots more things happening in that space as well. Now, I know that many customers deploy uh, RDS read replicas when they're scaling up their application because it's a great way to offload those read-heavy workloads. So Amazon RDS for Postgres now supports read replicas deployed in multi-AZ deployments. The nice thing is, is this allows you to automate the resilience and the coverage from a performance perspective of those read replicas across multiple availability zones without having to do any work. So that's a nice little extra feature. Another tool that customers often use with a relation to data is the AWS Database Migration Service. And so one of the changes that have been made is now you can start replication from anywhere in a transaction log. So whilst being for migrations, it can also replicate data continuously using Change Data Capture or CDC. Now with new native CDC start points, you can precisely control the replication start point and you use the log sequence number, which is defined by the database. So this could be SCN for Oracle or LSN in SQL Server. In addition, you can also uh, now stop a replication task and DMS can have a checkpoint so it could start from the exact place in the transaction log. So this opens up a world of new options and capabilities, which I'll leave you to explore. But what about if you've got files and uh, you need to access them using a file system? Well, one option is the AWS Storage Gateway, and it now has support for SMB to store and access objects in Amazon S3 buckets. So this is really useful for Microsoft Windows-based workloads and allows you to easily access those objects within S3. So that's the backing store for the file gateway. So now you can store files as objects in Amazon S3 using SMB versions 2 and 3 as well as NFS 3 and 4.1 as well. 
And you can, of course, integrate this with your Active Directory so that you can authenticate access as well. So this is a new capability that you can have. And a software update for existing gateways will be coming out uh, probably about mid-July 2018. So you can get access to that as soon as that comes out. Now, I know from a storage perspective, one of the features that a lot of customers liked was the uh, Amazon EBS Elastic Volume capability. So the ability to dynamically increase capacity or change uh, the type of volume that you're using without downtime or performance impact using just an API call or a few clicks. Well, this has now been extended to support EBS magnetic standard volume types. So if that's a volume type you use, you can now do this uh, uh, using the same capability and you can automate it using CloudWatch and Lambda in concert as well. Question, are you an AWS CloudFormation user? And have you ever wanted to allow selective updates to certain parts of your CloudFormation stack sets. Well, now you can. In fact, you can have multiple execution roles in target accounts. So you can restrict a group to create or update only specific elements. So maybe you may say, well, only Amazon S3 related resources or only Amazon DynamoDB related resources, etc. There are also some new parameters, accounts and regions for the update stack set. So you can apply it to specific instances of the stack set instead of all of them. So some new, very powerful capabilities there in terms of how you might choose to use CloudFormation. And CloudFormation has had a number of things happen uh, to it of late. It includes now support for AWS private link resources. Uh, so that helps uh, improve the coverage of what you can do with it as well. Also, Amazon MQ is also now supported using CloudFormation as well. Now, of course, when you're building an application, security is always a key consideration, but uh, security is harder than we think. It's one of those things you think, well, how hard can it be to have kind of like some form of authentication, et cetera? Well, the answer is uh, surprisingly difficult. So good news, if you're a user of the application load balancer, you can now use Amazon Cognito as an integration to authenticate uh, your users when they're connecting to your application very, very simply. So this will work with any identi identity provider that supports the OpenID Connect protocol or SAML 2.0, or you can also use social identity providers like Facebook, Google, and Amazon as well. Uh, if you have a, a custom one that is OpenID Connect compatible, this can also work as well. So some great documentation about this. This is a really handy way to introduce authentication uh, in your environment if you don't have it. Speaking of security, the application load balancer has also added some new security policies, including a policy for forward secrecy. So essentially, you can ensure that you have the highest possible security standpoint based upon the policies you set for your load balancer. Lots of details, lots of acronyms in that one. I'm not going to try and recite them all. Uh, take a look at the show notes. And you can see what's available to you as well. Now, I did mention Cognito. Amazon Cognito is a really useful way to do a logon experience for your users. And one of the things we did was uh, enable customers to have a really easy pre-built feature so that you could just kind of build into your application, see it very easily with a, a logon UI, et cetera, which is often the uh, undifferentiated heavy lifting a developer has to do to get the logon happening. Well, now you can use your own custom domain for the hosted logon UI. So from a user perspective, it's a unified login experience. They see your domain the whole time. It's linked in completely so that they don't sort of see you jump out, jump in again and have any questions about how that authentication is done. Again, information about how to do that is available in the show notes. 
Now, amongst all the cool things that Amazon Cognito does, it now also will provide you information about unusual sign-in activity and also any compromised credentials as well. So it'll look for sign-in attempts from new locations and devices. It'll give you a risk score and lets you choose whether to prompt users for additional verification or to block the request. You can also have your users notified of suspicious suspicious sign-ins, I should say. Let's try saying that three times fast. Uh, You can also see a history of sign-in attempts and their risk scores as well. Uh, You can also uh, take advantage of what's called compromised credential protection. So with this, Amazon Cognito detects when user enters credentials that have been exposed elsewhere. Uh, And if they try and use that, uh, Amazon Cognito will prompt them to choose another password. So this is really powerful to improve the security posture of your application using some really advanced technology. Now, continuing with a security theme, AWS Shield Advanced now has a new onboarding wizard. So AWS Shield Advanced is a really great service to protect against distributed denial of service attacks and other types of threats. It's a managed service. It provides always-on detection and a lot of mitigation and capabilities to protect against what are very common attacks now as well. Now, to set this up, it now provides a new wizard that gives you a step-by-step guide so you can do it in two easy steps. So much quicker to get that up and running. And speaking of web-based protection, AWS WAF, the web application firewall, has some new features. It lets you now write more specific rules to protect your web applications and APIs. So firstly, you get enhanced pattern matching against query string arguments. So you can really dive deep into those and match exactly what you want to match. And also we support non-octet CIDR boundaries. So what this allows you to do is to have even more granular subnet boundaries because you can now have any subnet mask between slash 16 and slash 32. So we've increased the variation that you can have in how you create those CIDR masks. Now, what if you have a, uh, let's call it an older style application, one that runs on a single instance. Uh, Maybe you've got a dedicated instance for that. And if that instance goes down, it's a problem because uh, the application is not cloud-friendly and can't run in an auto-scaling group, etc. Well, there is good news for you. Uh, Amazon EC2 Auto Recovery is now available for dedicated instances. So what this means is that when a system impairment is detected on the instance, it will automatically recover it. So basically, the feature recovers the instance on different underlying hardware and means you don't have to have manual intervention. It just happens itself, which is a really great way to sleep more at night. Now, a service that I've got to say has been super popular with the customers I speak to is Amazon SageMaker. And it's really useful because it makes the training of ML models and the deployment of ML models much more easy. And uh, the Amazon SageMaker team, of course, have had lots of feedback from customers saying, we want this, we want that, which is awesome. That's how we love to build our roadmap. So uh, Amazon SageMaker now supports PyTorch and TensorFlow 1.8. So this gives you access to more tooling than ever before. It also provides Chainer integration. So it allows you to run Chainer in a Docker container. So this uh, is an addition to the TensorFlow and Apache MXNet frameworks that are available. And uh, Chainer is notable because it supports a variety of neural architectures and it's a defined by run scheme. So you can use all the Python constructs you want and control flows in your network to get it going. And I know for me, the word Python is a good thing. Uh, Amazon SageMaker also now supports AWS CloudFormation, so you can provision everything through a template. So that's a really great way to build it up very, very quickly. Also, the Amazon SageMaker inference calls are now supported by AWS PrivateLink. So this means that the traffic does not traverse the internet. It's completely across your own 
uh, Amazon network. So what this means is that once the machine learning model is deployed into production, the calls by the client applications to the SageMaker runtime API get those inference from the model. Basically, this means that that API can be called through an interface endpoint within the VPC. So there's no need for an internet gateway, a NAT device, a VPN connection, or even AWS Direct Connect as well. You can now also clone a model training job on the Amazon SageMaker console as well. So if you want to run the same training job but with different data sets, which is actually quite common because different data sets yield different results and we want to run different experiments, you can now clone them instead of having to recreate them all together. And there's some detailed steps linked in the show notes of how to do that. And another really great change is that automatic model tuning for Amazon SageMaker is now generally available. And this means that you can now have SageMaker automatically tune your model by adjusting thousands of different combinations of algorithm parameters to get the most accurate predictions that the model is capable of producing. Now, this is all about playing with hyperparameters and figuring things out that are very sophisticated and complicated when you're trying to build useful models. Uh, this allows you to take a lot of that variation and a lot of that fiddling out of the picture. Essentially, it'll speed up the cycle time because you don't have to worry about tweaking those hyperparameters. The model itself seeks the best possible outcome. So what about expanding our discussions around ML and AI into the physical realm? Well, uh, the AWS Deep Lens device is something that was very uh, excitingly received when it was announced, and it is now available to buy on Amazon.com, and it includes some new capabilities. Uh, it is now optimized for the TensorFlow and CAFE frameworks. So this takes advantage of that running on the device itself. It also provides expanded MXNet layer support as well, so even more powerful use there. You can now also integrate it directly with Kinesis Video Streams. So basically the video stream from the Deep Lens camera can be used together with Amazon Kinesis Video Streams. So you can feed the raw camera feed into the cloud and then Amazon Recognition Video can extract objects, faces, etc. automatically. So it's kind of like a snap-in. There's also a new uh, sample project to help you figure out how you might try and use this device as well in your particular environment. So a really good one to have around the office to see what is possible to be done. So it wouldn't be a podcast without talking about containers and the Amazon Elastic Container Service for Kubernetes, uh, also known as Amazon EKS, is now generally available and supported for production use. So this allows you to use Kubernetes without having to install, operate, or maintain the Kubernetes management infrastructure. It's currently available in US East North Virginia and US West Oregon. Uh, you can anticipate other regions to come in the future. So if that's something you'd like to learn, you can use that straight away. Speaking of regional expansions, the Amazon Sumerian service, uh, which is a managed service, lets developers create and publish augmented reality, virtual reality, and 3D applications super fast, uh, are available in lots of additional regions. So North America, Montreal, Asia-Pacific Tokyo, Asia-Pacific Seoul, uh, Asia-Pacific Singapore, Asia-Pacific Mumbai, and EU Paris. Basically, uh, it is now available across 15 different regions uh, they're available to you, so you can use it all around the place. You can now also do some customization, so you can customize the clothing worn by Amazon Sumerian hosts. Uh, there are four outfits. You can select colors. You can add logos, so you can make it really, really uh, customized to your requirement as well. Now, I know a lot of customers have really enjoyed having the support for uh, private link 
available to you in VPC so that you can access services without having to traverse outside your VPC. So the Amazon API Gateway now supports private APIs. So this means you can use VPC endpoints to connect directly to the API without traversing outside using any sort of NAT gateway or anything else as well. So that makes it very easy. Similarly, Amazon CloudWatch now has VPC endpoint support for AWS Private Link as well. So you can privately connect your CloudWatch metrics, logs, and events securely on the AWS network. Let's talk Linux. Lots of customers like using Amazon Linux. Amazon Linux 2 is now generally available and comes with five years of long-term support or LTS. Uh, so this has uh, feedback from a lot of the candidate builds that were released in uh, December of last year and April of this year. So this is the one to pick uh, for that long-term support and lots of modern capabilities that people who use Linux distros want to see. And speaking of Linux, is this the year of the Linux desktop? I can't answer that question. But what I can tell you is that Amazon Workspaces now offers a Linux desktop based on Amazon Linux 2. So now you have the flexibility to choose Windows 7, Windows 10, or Amazon Linux 2 desktops for your Workspaces platform. So if you're a Linux desktop type person, this is good news for you. Okay, some other last-minute things to add before we wrap up the episode. So if, or if you're an Amazon CloudWatch user, then you'll know that uh, metric math is a very cool thing. You can now do bulk transformations of metrics in a single expression. You can also now calculate a metric's rate of change over time, which is really useful. So this helps the real-time analysis of your metrics. So if you're a metrics lover, this is all good news for you. Similarly, if you like accessing data to see what's going on in your environment, AWS CloudTrail event history now includes all management events. So it will automatically log all read and write management events for supported AWS services. And the event history lets you view, filter, and download any of your recent activity. And you get that up to the last 90 days without even setting up a trail. If you do set up a trail, then it's as long as you keep the data from that trail. Do you use Redis? Do you want to use the latest versions of Redis? Well, now uh, Amazon Elastic Cache for Redis has support for Redis 4.0 with caching improvements and also better man memory management as well. So in fact, it is support for Redis 4.0.10. And this allows you to take advantage of things like a new eviction policy so you can get more performant uh, management of that data. Also, uh, a new set of commands are available, things like memory doctor. Sounds intriguing, doesn't it? Uh, and some other new commands like memory malloc stats, memory purge memory stats, and also active memory defragmentation amongst a whole bunch of other new capabilities that are available to you straight away. And it's always nice to talk about saving money for our customers. So AWS Config now has lower pricing for AWS Config rules. It now has a new tiered pricing model for those rules. And your costs can decrease based upon the number of active Config rules per region across your AWS accounts. So it can be as low as $1 per rule per region per month at the higher usage tiers. So this changes from the just flat price that we had. So again, if you use it more, it costs you less, which is fantastic. And finally, not a specific service, but an entire marketplace. In fact, the AWS Marketplace, which is a curated digital catalog, which has well over 4,200 software listings from all different software vendors, now has a streamlined website workflow. So the idea is to make it much easier for you to procure, configure, and fulfill the AMI software products. So this makes it smoother, quicker, and really was driven by a lot of feedback from customers about how they'd like to use the marketplace. 
So take a look at that. It's a really great way to consume software. So again, thanks for sticking with me. Lots of new things. Like I said, just a smattering (laughs) of the new, uh, but hopefully keeping you well appraised of some of the things that are going on. As ever, we do love to get your feedback, podcast at amazon.com. And until next time, keep on building.